Luke 19, starting in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the man, son of man came to seek and save what is lost. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, um, thank you for your word. Thank you. Um, yeah, that you are a God that came to seek and save the lost, and that's us. Um, God, we, we just thank you that you, you loved us enough to come, to see us, to say our name, and to call us to, to come and follow you. Um, Jesus, this morning I pray that you would open our hearts to see um, just how you want us to follow you even more, like what, what we need to lay down um, in order to know you and love you more. God, we thank you for the snow. We thank you for just your presence with us here this morning. We love you. Amen. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Hey, can we thank Ellie for all the work that she did with the Fall Fest? And Fall Fest was so fun. I mean, Ellie did a great job leading that. All of you who volunteered, we're so thankful for you. We had a, such a good time last night. And so uh, grateful for you, Ellie. And uh, good morning, Summit Church. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. Hope you had a great fall, all two weeks of it. Uh, winter's here already. That's how it goes. Welcome to Colorado. And I've already talked to a few of you this morning. This is your first winter in Colorado. So buckle up, get ready. Here we go. Now, uh, in the Metzger house, um, we've got one family rule when it comes to eating out, all right? We've got three little kids, all right? They're youngish, and so we're actually able to go to restaurants now at this season of life. Uh, for a long time in our home, it was either like Chick-fil-A or nothing. Uh, but we're actually, you know, we're getting a little bit older, so it's kind of fun. We're able to go to some different restaurants, but we've got one family rule uh, and when, it, when it comes to going out to eat and... Um, and all of my kids know this. In fact, some of their friends even know the family rule. And every time we're about to go into a restaurant, uh, we stop, we pause, and I ask, what's the family rule? In fact, one of my kids is in here. Raleigh, what's the family rule? Respect the vibe, all right? Respect the vibe. That is the one singular rule. And uh, so literally, we go in, we step in, and I say, stop, let's look. Okay, everybody got the vibe? Great, let's go have a seat, you know, and that's what we do. And, uh, and the reason why that's the rule is because inevitably at some point while we're eating there and dining, and uh, you'll find uh, one of our kids will, uh, for some reason, all of a sudden be underneath the table, you know, underneath the table, sitting on the ground, tearing apart a paper straw or something like that. And it's like, hey, you know, all you have to say is that you look down and say, hey, what's the rule? <laughs> what's the rule? Respect the vibe. Okay, D do you see anybody else right now sitting underneath the table? On the, I know this is groundbreaking, uh, but you know this isn't our home. We're a guest here. In this, let's go ahead and sit in the chair, you know, like, like everybody else is doing. Why? 
because we want to respect the vibe, all right? Now, here's the thing. This morning, as we're continuing to move through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see Jesus actually enjoying a meal, but he is not going to respect the vibe, all right? Uh, He's not going to respect the vibe at all. In fact, he's going to do the very opposite. He's going to break a lot of rules this morning, culturally speaking. He's going to actually disappoint some people along the way. But uh, even as Jesus does this, this is actually a really beautiful story of change, all right, a really, really beautiful uh, story of life change and, and transformation because today Jesus, he's going to show us two things actually as we walk through this story in Luke chapter 19. Uh, one, just, uh, one, the first thing he's going to show us is just how much Jesus loves the outsider. I mean, that's been, been a huge theme throughout the entire gospel of Luke, hasn't it? He just has this deep, unique love for the outsider, those who are on, you know, on the margins, those who are, are not really well accepted within uh, the, the larger scope of society. Jesus has such a deep love for them. And then secondly, how much God's grace really does change us. How much his grace really changes every part of us, really. Not just one part of our lives, but really the entirety of who we are. I mean, that's kind of the whole idea behind the story of Zacchaeus. Now, you may have heard of Zacchaeus before. It's a very famous story within, a, uh, within the Bible. And there are a lot of reasons to, to love the story of Zacchaeus. Kids love this story. You know, there's just something about this story that kind of gets their uh, creative, uh, captures their imagination in really creative ways. You know, you've got this short little man who is not tall enough to be able to see Jesus, so he climbs a tree, and kids love climbing trees, don't they? And, and kids know often what it's like not to be tall enough to do something, so kids love this story. Adults love this story. Adults love this story, too, because Zacchaeus is the kind of guy who doesn't really fit in, and doesn't have many friends, and he's, and he's lost, And at some point in all of our lives, we've all known what it feels like to not really fit in or to wish we had more friends or even to feel very lost. And so it's a powerful story. It's a, it's a beautiful story. And I'm really glad that Luke encountered, uh, that Luke included this encounter with Jesus in his gospel account because Luke's actually the only gospel writer that tells us this story of Zacchaeus. So I'm really grateful that he did. And this is a, this is a really wonderful story. It picks up as Ellie just read in verse one of chapter 19, and here's what it says. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, uh, Jericho, there's a little bit that we know about Jericho. Jericho is about 17 or 18 miles outside of Jerusalem. Okay, it's a very, very interesting city. In fact, it's a real place. You could go visit Jericho today if you wanted to. In fact, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but Jericho is actually the lowest city in the world. You know that? It's the lowest city in the world. It's 800 feet below sea level. All right, so it's very, very fertile, and it was actually a very, very wealthy city. It was literally like an oasis in the desert because there was this natural spring that fed the city of Jericho and the surrounding region, and, and it's still there today, uh, which made uh, Jericho a very desirable place to live and to go visit. So Jesus is passing through Jericho when he meets Zacchaeus. And right away, we learn two things about Zacchaeus that help us understand just what kind of person that Zacchaeus is. It says in verse two, two things. One, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Okay. Now, just like today, certain careers back then carried certain stereotypes, right? So if I were to say to you, engineer or accountant or TSA agent, you know, so you'd have a certain kind of person in mind, right? That would conjure up a certain kind of image, a stereotype, if you will. Well, we're told Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. 
Or maybe some of your translations say he was the chief of the tax collectors. So he oversaw all the tax collectors. And it also tells us that he was rich. And immediately in the first century context, everybody would have known exactly what kind of person we're dealing with. All right, everybody would have a very, very clear, very vivid image of what kind of person Zacchaeus was. Because tax collectors, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know, tax collectors, uh, they carried a fairly negative reputation, right? Now, they, they carried a negative reputation, but a lot of times we don't always exactly know why. If, you know, if, if you're slightly familiar with the Bible, you might know, well, the reason why tax collectors weren't really liked was, uh, well, on one hand, nobody really loves taxes. And also the assumption was that tax collectors tend to overcharge a little bit and take too much uh, from us. And that was kind of, that's kind of the assumption a lot of times why people hated tax collectors. It's not actually the real reason why people actually hated uh, tax collectors in the Bible. Here's the real reason why. Um, I don't know if you recognize this, but tax collectors, you know, at the time, maybe just to set the understanding here, the Jewish people were being ruled over by the Romans, okay? So the Romans were overseeing them, um, and that's where the taxes were going. But here's a really interesting thing. The Romans didn't hire the Jewish men to actually be tax collectors, and they didn't actually force them to be tax collectors either. A tax collector was a tax collector because he paid to be a tax collector. You realize that? It was actually it was a brilliant system put out by the Romans. The Romans would actually put out these contracts, which meant then that Jewish men would bid. Whoever was the highest bidder would then win the contract. So you actually paid to be a tax collector. And this, in the eyes of your Jewish brothers and sisters, this was committing the highest act of treason possible. I mean, this was, you, you were becoming a national traitor by doing this because what were you doing? I mean, you were essentially continuing to put your own people into greater bondage. You were taxing them. And as a tax collector, you made a lot of money off of this. You profited greatly. And Rome knew it. They're like, okay, somebody's got to do it. And we're going to pay you. you know, you'll make a lot of money doing this, but your people will hate you in the end. And that's the reason why uh, tax collectors were so hated. They were literally selling out their family, selling out their friends. And uh, in fact, I read one scholar this week that said, Tax collectors were so despised that the Jewish Mishnah, the Jewish Mishnah was just an ancient commentary on all of the Jewish law. The Jewish Mishnah said that lying to a tax collector was okay. (laughs) And the reason why is because tax collectors were like animals. And lying to animals, according to the Jewish law, was not a sin. (laughs) Which is a weird clarification, if you ask me. Why you would ever need to lie to your pet, I have no idea. But apparently the Jewish law allowed for it, all right? So this is the portrait of Zacchaeus that we get even before we hear a single word from Zacchaeus. This is the type of person. He betrayed his people. He puts them in greater bondage. And he became extraordinarily wealthy at their expense, okay? So not a great guy. Not the kind of guy that you would really want to spend a lot of time with. But... Then we're given a very interesting detail about Zacchaeus in verse 3. Look what it says. It says, Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus. Why? Why does Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? Well, on uh, on one hand, he's probably just heard all the stories about Jesus. And if Jesus is coming into town, he's like, I've heard about him. But there's another reason. We're actually told the reason in verse 10. The very, very end of this story The reason why Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus is because he's lost. He's lost. And that's what verses 9 and 10 tell us. This man, as wealthy as he is, as successful as he is, as much opportunity and and as many options as this man has. I heard uh, 
the great philosopher Chris Rock say, uh, wealth is not about having a lot of money. It's about having options. And Zacchaeus, he had a lot of options, right? But he was still lost. You, you know anyone like that? All of the wealth in the world, yet still lost. Now this phrase, lost, this is, we see this at the end of the story, verse 10, when it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now many people say this, this verse right here, verse 10, is the key verse in the entire book of Luke. The whole thing, the entire ministry of Jesus and, and the main message, main message of Christianity boils down to this one singular sentence, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the heart of the gospel. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Now, who are the lost? Who are the lost? Um, well, the first thing you need to realize, this is a very common metaphor. It's a spiritual metaphor that Jesus used many, many, many times all throughout the Gospels. Anytime he was teaching, he used that phrase quite often. And it's one of those words or phrases, you know, I realize for some of you, particularly maybe if you grew up in the church, it might feel or sound a little cheesy. You know, maybe you have some spiritual baggage around uh, this, this idea. But the older we get, I mean, I think for all of us, we tend to uh, kind of find this phrase very fitting, don't we? The more applicable it becomes, right? Why? Because we go through much of life feeling lost. Now, what do I do now? Like, where do I turn? Where do I go from here? I feel lost. Have you ever felt lost? Have you ever been lost? Now, that's, that can be scary, right? Now, you're hiking in the mountains and you lose the trail. I mean, sometimes it only takes a, a few misplaced steps and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, where am I? Where do I go now? Or maybe you've felt vocationally lost. Like, what am I even doing? Why am I working this job? You know, but where else would I go? Is it too late to start over? Or financially lost? You know, how are we going to make this work? You know, how, how are we going to make ends meet? Or relationally lost? Who are my friends? You know, how do I fit in? Why is it so hard to make and to keep real friends at this age? You know, nobody ever talks about Jesus' most impressive miracle of all time, having 12 best friends in his early 30s, right? <laughs> How did he do that? <laughs> you see, Jesus, when, when he uses this word lost, it conjures up all kinds of feelings, doesn't it? It's such a vivid picture. I think that's why he loved to use it. He, he used it to describe the prodigal son, right? He was lost. He used it to describe the one sheep separated from the 99. He was lost too, Right? And he uses it again here in Luke 19 to describe our spiritual position before God. When you are not connected to the one who gives life, he says you're lost, you're spiritually lost. Because what happens when you're lost? You're, you're separated, right? You're, you're separated from security, you're separated from safety, you're separated from those who know you and love you and, and who want the absolute best for you. And this is why Jesus says, if you don't know God, if you don't have this ongoing personal relationship uh, with the one who made you and the one who died for you, then you are lost and you need to be found. You know, he's showing us uh, here, he's using Zacchaeus as an example, but he's saying your fundamental problem in life is that you've been spiritually separated from God. That's what our sin does. It, it separates us from God. In the same way a kid is separated from her parent in a grocery store, it's, it's disorienting and, it, and it's very, very dangerous, Right? Jesus says, you've been spiritually separated from God. And until you get that right, you're not going to be able to get anything else in your life totally right for the rest of life. 
I mean, I think that's the reason why Jesus uses this word lost is because when we are spiritually lost, then inevitably at some point in your life, you'll find yourself being relationally lost. You know, it's when you are spiritually lost, then at some point you're going to find yourself vocationally lost or emotionally lost, financially lost, morally lost. And all the questions then begin to follow, right? What am I doing? Like, where am I going? What's the point of all of this? But when you've been spiritually found or saved or rescued, all the different words the Bible loves to use, when you've been found by the one who made you and the one who created you, and that one comes into your life and, and he fills you with the Holy Spirit, then every other area of your life now begins to have a brand new sense of purpose, right? And we know this as Christians, that relationally we, we have a brand new way of treating one another. Or vocationally, we have a brand new sense of calling. Emotionally, financially, morally, we start to lay all those different areas of our life down before God and say, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever you want to do, God, with this part of my life, it's up for you. It's for you to decide. That's what it means to be a Christian. Now, Zacchaeus was spiritually lost. And we'll see that lostness bled over to multiple areas of his life. Look what happens here in verse 4. He wanted to see Jesus, uh, but he couldn't see Jesus. Why? Because he was short. He was short. In fact, Craig Keener says to be short in ancient Mediterranean culture meant that this man was probably less than five feet tall. All right. So Zacchaeus really was a wee little man. And then verse four says, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. Now, when Zacchaeus in that culture at this time climbed up in a tree, all of the commentators would tell you when he climbed up a tree, he paid an enormous price. Why? And because that's something a child does, right? And it's something a child does for fun. But this is, you got to remember, I mean, this is an honor shame culture. An adult would never do this. So for Zacchaeus, when he climbed up a tree, he paid an enormous price, the price of ridicule. He lost his dignity in order to see Jesus. In other words, for Zacchaeus to truly experience Jesus, it came at a cost. And the reality is, for all of us, that's, that's just the way it always has been and it always will be. It comes at a cost. It always comes at a cost. It takes different forms at different times and in different cultures and different ways, but the reality stays the same. And I'm just trying to be honest with you here today, particularly for those of you who may be feeling like you're on the outside and you're exploring a little bit about who Jesus is and what it means to know Jesus. You cannot have Jesus' salvation flowing through your life unless you're willing to metaphorically get up in a tree and look silly to yourself and to many, many other people. You have to swallow your pride. And that's just an essential part of following Jesus. You have to lay down your dignity. And in this case, you have to look like a child. Now, what does that mean? Well, for many of you, I think it's actually not that surprising. Because for the most part, we all live in a city where Jesus is not taken very seriously, is he? Jesus is a joke. God is no longer needed. We've moved beyond that as a culture. And for you to believe that God broke into this world uh, through the person of Jesus and defeated our greatest enemies of evil and death and then rose again from the grave. Well, if you're actually somebody who who genuinely believes that reality, you're not going to be considered by most people that you interact with on a daily basis as that enlightened. You know, you're, you're not that mature of an adult. You're kind of primitive, right? You're considered a child. You've climbed a tree and you look kind of silly. 
you look undignified if you really take this stuff seriously. I mean, how many of you are the only Christian in your department at work? You know, some of you might be the only Christian in your entire workplace, right? And inevitably, at some point, you know, you're going to find yourself in a conversation where it's like, well, this is kind of awkward. What do I say right now? You know, maybe it's something really inappropriate that's been said. You know, we've all experienced this in different ways. You know, you find yourself, whether it's at work or, you know, or youth, you know, many of you, you probably experience this more than anybody in our church every day. You go to school and you find yourself in these types of situations where, you know, you have to figure out, how do I respond right now? Right, you know, when somebody makes that joke or says something inappropriate, does something mean, like, what do I say or not say? What do I do right now? And that's not always easy, is it? That's not easy for any of us. And we have to ask the, the question, am I willing to look a little silly because of what I believe about who Jesus is? You know, maybe it's something a little bit more public. You know, these days, uh, every major corporation, every small business, really, and everything in between, you know, makes statements like, in this company, we believe, you know, or they've got the signs out front, we stand for, and it's like, wait a minute, you're like, what if I don't stand for that? Like, what, what do you mean, like, we believe this? Like, nobody ever, cons- you know, did anybody ever consult you in uh, HR when, this, you know, they put out these promotional things? Of course not. It's like, well, I don't necessarily believe that. What this story is showing us today is at some point, you're going to have to be like Zacchaeus, who climbs the tree. You're going to look a little silly. Okay, you're not going to be very dignified, and it will come at a cost. That's, that's one thing that Jesus promises us. It will come at a cost. There will always be a cost. But you have to be willing to look above those people. I mean, that's what we're seeing here in the story of Zacchaeus. You've got to be willing to look above the people. You have to be willing to look beyond the people, right? That's what Zacchaeus is doing here. For all of the horrible things that he has done, and he's done a lot of horrible things. We can recognize that. This is the first thing it seems like he got right. He's like, I'm not getting in that crowd. <laughs> Right? It's like, I'm looking over them, or I'm going to look around them, but I'm not filtering my ideas about who Jesus is through these opinions of the crowd. Like, I'm not making up my mind about who God is based on what everybody else is saying right now. He's like, no, I want the real deal. I want the real Jesus. I want to encounter the real Jesus. You see what he does? He's like, I'm getting above all the chaos so I can meet the real Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And the big idea there is just, if you want to experience the real Jesus, you got to climb the tree and you got to look above the people. That's the only way you're going to really find him and get his salvation flowing through your life. You got to swallow the pride. All right, you got to stop listening to all the voices. There are a lot of voices out there, aren't there? I mean, you're all of us. We're, We're bombarded with all the many, many voices every single day. Here's what you should believe. You know, here's what's true. Here's what's right. Here's even who God is. Now, I love what happens next in verse five. It says that when Zacchaeus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, get down. (laughs) He's like, hurry up, come down, get out of that tree, for I'm going to stay at your house today. Verse six, so he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. I love that. It's like something just turned on and began to connect with Zacchaeus, right? And it tells us a lot about actually what happens when a person encounters the real Jesus, Instant joy, right? That's what happened. I mean, when you meet the real Jesus, you know, some of you can tell the story. When you first met Jesus, the man, it's just like the joy is overwhelmingly poured into your life. That's what happens here. He receives him joyfully. Verse seven, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. All right, this is everyone else watching. This is the whole crowd. They all begin grumbling, and this is what somebody says. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
And there's the accusation. Who is this man who eats and drinks with sinners? It wasn't the first time that Jesus heard this. Right? And it wouldn't be the last time either. You see, the reason why people are so appalled, so upset every time that Jesus is so willing to eat with people like Zacchaeus and stay with Zacchaeus, probably overnight, he probably spent the night there, is because in those days to go home with somebody and share the evening meal uh, with somebody, I mean, this was a really big deal. You have to recognize this is, this is a big deal in the eyes of everybody watching. Like Jesus not only going over, but he's, he is having a meal. He is spending the night that, that was a sign of complete approval and participation. In other words, Jesus' presence in that house was viewed as complete participation. Being in Zacchaeus' company was seen as condoning all of the horrible things that Zacchaeus had done. But this isn't anything new for Jesus, is it? I mean, he was constantly eating and drinking with outsiders and, and outcasts that were desperately lost. In fact, uh, one commentator says, throughout the majority of Luke's gospel, I really like this. He says, Jesus was either at a meal, he was going to a meal, or he was coming from a meal. <laughs> Which means Jesus really liked to eat with people, right? Yeah, he, just, he just loved just to step into their lives. It was over a meal that Jesus was able just to slow some things down, right? For, for the people that he is with, just to really genuinely feel seen and known by those people. We have a hard time with this today, don't we? You know, having someone over to your house for me, I mean, that's a big step, isn't it? That's only after you've really, really gotten to know somebody and you feel really comfortable inviting them over, unless, maybe, unless you are a follower of Jesus. And then you're like, this is just what we do, right? You become very hospitable, don't you? You begin to open your home and you begin to open your life to, to people, you know, whether they are followers of Jesus or whether they are not. You know, this is the opportunity that we have before us. And that's what Jesus did. In fact, there's another story in the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke chapter 5 when Jesus called Levi. Do you remember that story? Levi was another tax collector. He went home with him and they had this huge feast. And the Pharisees were very upset about this. Right? In fact, this is the first time when, when, when the Pharisees asked Jesus point blank, they said, why do you eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Like, why are you doing this right now, Jesus? And that's when Jesus very famously responded, healthy people don't need a doctor, right? It's sick people who do. I've come to call the, uh, I haven't come to call the righteous, I've come to call sinners to repentance. And that's exactly what Jesus does. You know, he seeks you out. I mean, that's ultimately what's happening in this story, right? It's, it's Jesus who initiates all of it. It's Jesus who initiates everything. He's like, get down from that tree, get ready. We're going home. We're going to have a meal and I'm going to stay with you. That's what he does. He, he, he meets you where you are, lost and separated. He finds you. He, he invites himself in and then he overwhelms you with grace, doesn't he? And you're forever changed as a result. Every part of you is changed when you meet Jesus. I mean, look, do you see what Zacchaeus did here? It was amazing. Verse 8, look at verse 8. It said, Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Now, what is this telling us? I think it's two things, really, that we're seeing here unfold. First, it's showing us the order of grace. Okay, the order of grace. Now, the order really matters here. Do you see the order? 
does Zacchaeus say, all right, I'm going to stop cheating people. And then Jesus says, okay, well, now I'm willing to come over to your house for dinner. Is that what happens? No. No, Jesus says, I'm coming home with you. And it's like, wait a minute, Jesus. Zacchaeus hasn't even repented yet. You know, in fact, the the traditional evangelical thing uh, to do would have been to say, hey, Zacchaeus, you need to invite Jesus into your life. Guess what? Jesus invited himself into his life. (laughs) It's true. That's what happened. Jesus Jesus does not say, well, hey, now if you clean up your life and if you stop cheating and you do the right thing, you stop doing all the wrong things, then I'm going to come and stay with you. No, he says, I'm coming to live with you. And Zacchaeus says, good, then I'm going to change. I want to change. I mean, how, how does Jesus do this? How does that happen? How can he look at outsiders and say, I'm coming home with you? Well, here's why. Because even though Jesus was the ultimate insider, right? You know, inside the Trinity. Mm-hmm. That's about as inside as you get, right? <laughs> inside heaven. That's about as inside as you can get. Like inside the bosom of the Father. You don't get much more inside than that, right? But what did he do? He left all of that. Right? He came to earth. He was born in a manger. He died on a cross. He was forsaken by his father. And when that happened, the ultimate insider became an outsider. He took our penalty for our sin. He took all that upon himself. So now that he can look at us, no matter who we are, no matter what we are, no matter what you have done, you know, no matter all those really, really embarrassing things that you're, you're so ashamed of, you know, maybe even some of the things that you did last night. Regardless of those things, Jesus says, I want to come home with you. I do. I want to come home with you. And this is why, listen, this is why when we talk about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, you know, this is why we remind ourselves the, the word gospel means good news, not good advice. Now, good advice is like, you know, well, here's some things that you can do. You know, do these things and, you know, maybe your life will get a little bit easier. That's good advice. Good news is here's what God's already done. Now, you were lost and now you're found. You were dead and now you are alive. You were an enemy of God. And now, because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, you're now a friend or a daughter or a son of God. That's what's happening to Zacchaeus. You know, and I love, I love his response here. I mean, what happens in this thing when, Zac- when Zacchaeus says, I'm going to stop cheating people? You know, what does he say? Look at that. He says, look, Lord. I love that. Yeah. Look, Lord. It's like, what does that mean? Do you see the emotion there? Look, Lord. It's like, look, Dad. Why? Because of the grace. Right? It's because of the gratitude. You know, it, it's gone through Zacchaeus like a lightning bolt, right? Zacchaeus says, because you love me, I want to change. You know, it's not you know, because I, now I'm going to change. Now hopefully you will love me. And because I'm doing all of the right things now, you'll be able to welcome me into the house. No, no. God's love is not a response to our change. Our change is a response to God's love. So when Zacchaeus says, okay, I'm giving away half of everything I own, all of my money, half of, half of my money, I'm going to pay back also everybody that I've cheated. Jesus does not say here, now salvation can come into you. Do you recognize that? No, he says, salvation has come. This is the sign. It's salvation first, then the change. That's the order of grace and the order matters. 
Salvation first, then the change. But secondly, the, the story of Zacchaeus shows us real grace, when you actually meet the real Jesus and experience the real grace, real grace makes it into every part of your life, every area of your life. It doesn't just deal with your spiritual separation. It bleeds into every part of who you are. Or another way to say it, this is probably my favorite way to explain this to people, is that the gospel begins to rewire everything in you that has been miswired by sin. All right? The the gospel begins to rewire everything in you that has been miswired by sin. For example, Zacchaeus, he was a horribly greedy person, wasn't he? You know, he was not good. He really hurt people. He stole, and, and, and he was not the least bit generous. But after experiencing the grace of God, what happened? He said, I'm giving away 50% of my money. Well, Jesus didn't tell him to do that, right? The Bible doesn't even tell us to do anything like that. And the Bible tells us to give away 10% of your income. We talked about that last week, right? As Christians, we believe that we can live on 90% of our income and and trust God to take care of 100% of our needs. But what does Zacchaeus do? He says, I'm giving away 50%. And anybody I cheated, I'm going to pay them back 400%. Well, nobody told him to do that either, in fact, the Bible says, it does have a category for this, believe it or not. The Bible says, you know, if you've ever cheated anybody, you should go repay that amount that you cheated somebody plus 20%, okay, 20%. He says, no way, I'm doing 400%. Why? How do you explain that kind of radical generosity? Well, the answer is, he's been touched by grace. Yes, he's been touched by grace. He met Jesus, and, and it's... It, It's changing him. Everything about him, it's rewiring what's been miswired. It's turning him, like it turns us, into just radically generous people. Why? Because when you have a real encounter with the grace of Jesus, it bleeds into every part of who you are. It rewires the way that you spend your money. It rewires the way that you treat other people. It rewires the way you think and the way you think about yourself. Rewires the way you think about your sin, rewires the way you think about your sexual life, your family life, your vocation, the jobs you take or the jobs you turn down. Everything begins to get affected by the gospel. And so what does this mean? Here's what it means. It means today, today, if you want the salvation of Jesus Christ flowing through your life, this this is what Jesus said, right? Verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house. Maybe today is the day that salvation comes into your heart and your home. You know, when, you, when, when, when Jesus walks in and the grace of God begins to rewire all that has been miswired. Do you want to make that decision today? You can make that decision today. You know, for some of you, those of you who are exploring Jesus and you're, and you're questioning the Christian faith and you're wondering if this is really too good to be true and whether or not you can have this, the answer is you can this is for you. It's as simple as saying to God today, not my will, but yours be done. I give you my life in exchange for your grace and for your love and for your forgiveness. That's the great exchange, right? He gifts, he gifts you all of those things when we turn to him. It's that easy. I mean, it's costly, right? We, we've, we've already covered that. It's costly. It will cost you, but it's, it's worth it. That's the promise of Jesus. And so if you want to do that today, I'll let me just say this. I'll try to make this very, very simple for you today. Um, I would love to talk to you about that. 
know, for those of you who are exploring, for those of you who are questioning and, and, and eager to accept Jesus, I'd love to have that. I mean, even today, after the service, I'll be standing right over there. You come up to me, you have the courage to come up to me, man, we'll have that conversation. And I'll tell you exactly what it looks like for you to begin following Jesus. Others of you, maybe you've been following Jesus for a really long time, but there are parts of your life that you're, you just haven't fully let the grace of God begin to change. You haven't let the grace of God really begin to transform. You've been holding on to those. And today Jesus is inviting you to say, hey, maybe you begin to let go. Maybe you begin to let the grace of the gospel begin to change that part of your life as well. Maybe today is the day you're able to say, whatever you want to do with this part of my life, God, it's up for you to decide. I'm no longer hanging on to it. I'm releasing it. And that's the invitation. That's the, that's the invitation from Zacchaeus. That's what he invites us into this morning is to be able to let go and to trust and believe that this grace, when we allow it to come into every part of our lives, we are able to receive it joyfully. We get all of the joy, all of the goodness, all of the grace. That's what the Lord loves to do. And so we're going to give you an opportunity to respond in just a minute. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to ask God to continue to lead us. Okay, so let's pray. Oh, Father, we... We are deeply grateful that you see every single one of us right where we are, God. That's the really, really wonderful thing about this story, God, is that you see it. You initiate every single part of this. When it comes to your grace, you're the one who looks at us and says, get down, get ready, let's go. I'm coming into your home. And God, when you do that, God, we, we, we believe this morning when we receive that grace, not only does it move its way through every part of our lives, but it brings so much joy. And God, many of us long for that today. We, we need that, Lord Jesus. And so we're praying this morning that, God, you would provide it and that you would provide it in abundance. We're eager for that to happen, God, and we, we willingly profess our need upon you, God. So would you provide that today, God? Would you just continue to surprise us by your grace? Surprise us in the many ways that you want to bring change for our joy and for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, so my family, we're going to give you now the opportunity to respond uh, like we do every week. We're going to take communion. And when we take communion, we remember the gospel. We remember what Jesus has done for us, his body that was broken and his blood that was spilled. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, or you want to become a follower of Jesus today, this is for you. You, you take the bread, you dip it in the cup, and you remember, um, this is what Christ has done on my behalf. This is Christ rewiring everything that has been miswired by sin. We celebrate that and we remember the gospel. Uh, we're going to have some men and women in the back corner of this room that would love to pray for you today. Yeah, maybe you're ready to take a step in following Jesus. Maybe, maybe you want to become a follower of him today and, and want somebody to help you. I'm willing to do that. And there's other men and women in the back corner who would love to pray for you. And maybe it's something that you're specifically walking through today that you need God to step into and change. Whatever the circumstances of your life look, right, look like right now, uh, we would just love to surround you and comfort you and bring the bring our prayers before God himself and do that for you. So in the back corner of this room, we're going to have prayer and then we're going to sing. We're going to proclaim who God is as we sing and continue to worship. So some of my family, why don't you go ahead and stand with me now 
and we're going to continue to uh, respond and worship however it is that the Spirit of God is leading you to respond. This time is now for you.